welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, hello. How are you guys doing? Okay, you guys are awake. I love that. All right. I love this house. This house is amazing. So I am so thrilled that you're here and you're present. And I'm wearing a little bit of shine in, you know, respect for sparkle. So, uh, but I, my home dynamic is male. So I'm going to throw up a picture of my family. I am the mother of four sons, grandmother to four. If you have three or more sons, you get to be what's called a mob. Mob, M-O-B, mother of boys, mob mom. But I'm also, I told the women, I'm also kind of a mob mom anyway, because I'm half Sicilian. So I have four sons. I have Addison, Arden. Arden is a huge Viking fan. When, when it is Viking season, we have, he wears a helmet during the games that Rob gave him. And, and like literally, okay, so this is a mean thing. You know, brothers can be mean to each other. One of the brothers sent a picture when, when Arden was in Australia with his friends wearing the Viking helmet. And I thought that Arden was going to fly across the ocean and yank it off his head. He was so mad. He's like, that's my Viking helmet. We also have a miniature one that sits on top of our television the entire football season. So we are trying to carry the Vikings all the way from Colorado. And then there is my husband of 26 years, John Bevere. We celebrated that October the 2nd. My second son, who just got married about 18 days ago, Austin Michael, and then Alexander, who is my only son who is not engaged. He needs to up his game. He does have a girlfriend. I need more grandkids. I only have four. Don't you think that I should have more grandkids? I think grandkids are amazing. So I love being a grandmother. We love this house. I don't know if you know how generous this house is. I mean, I know that you're a generous people. But because of your generosity, your pastors have partnered with Messenger International and been part of seeing 20 million resources go out into the world in 108 languages, 97 countries where people cannot get Christian things because of persecution or poverty. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being faithful, Tyver. And, and this is the way your pastors are. They will actually come to us when they come to Messenger Cup and say, we've even learned more ways for you to do things. And so thank you for letting your pastors not just touch people that are near, but touch people that are far. And uh, you have no idea what your reach is. So I want to talk to you about a couple of things. And um, I really, I told Pastor Rob, I, I was at Catalyst last weekend speaking, and I said, I really feel like what I brought at Catalyst, I'm supposed to bring here. And I believe that what God is doing is catalytic. I believe that God wants to do something with his people that is new. And so I'm going to talk to you about a couple points. I think there's five points, which is pretty amazing because I usually never have points in my sermons. But the first point is you got to know when you are. You've got to know when you are. Here in Minneapolis, you guys get on planes and you can fly to pretty much any place in the world, but I live in Colorado Springs. So because I live in Colorado Springs, I've got to connect through either Chicago or Dallas or Houston to get someplace big, which means I incur a time zone change. 
Do you remember the days of stupid phones before the days of smartphones? Okay, stupid phones, no matter where you went, they stayed on your original time zone that you left from. And I remember I was traveling with a stupid phone and with a few of my sons doing a youth conference, which is kind of hilarious because I will do eight youth conferences this year as a grandmother. I don't know if they're kind of like, hey, we don't like our moms anymore, but we love our grandmas because, you know, grandparents are the most amazing people. So I don't know if they're just like, we're just going to bring in the grandparents. But anyway, I was traveling with my sons and we landed in Dallas and there was this place called Dickie Barbe Dickie's Barbecue. Well, John Bevere does not feed my boys barbecue and my boys need to enjoy barbecue. So I was like, hey guys, here's Dickie's. We're going to go to barbecue. And one of my sons said, mom, I thought you said we had a tight connection. But I looked at my stupid phone and I said, oh no, we got two hours. We got plenty of time. So we took our time in Dickie's barbecue and y'all know what happened. I showed up at the departure gate and the plane was gone because I did not know my timing. I did not know my time zone. And I need to tell you when we are right now. Acts 2.17 says, this is God talking. This is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Yes. What does that even mean? What does it mean to prophesy? Well, it's interesting because we don't see many people prophesying. We see a lot of people criticizing. And it takes absolutely no faith or vision to criticize. But it takes a whole lot of faith and vision to prophesy. We need to be a generation, young and old, male and female, who stand on the face of the earth and release the words of heaven. Prophesy order into the disorder. Prophesy love into hate. Prophesy unity into the division. We need to be a people who prophesy. And it's interesting, God prefaces this with, in the last days, God says. And maybe some of you are here saying, I don't know if women can preach. Well, in the first days, maybe they couldn't. But in the last days, God says he's going to pour out his spirit on all people. And that means that God's going to pour out his spirit on people. I don't think he should pour it out on. How many of you know that? Have you ever had a friend? You're like, why are you filling her with the Holy Spirit? I don't think she's very holy. But God is going to pour out his spirit on everybody. The young and the old, the visions and the dreams. And they will prophesy. I want to do something. I did it last service. I want to do it again. Can I get all the men to stand to your feet? Don't be afraid. I know after Sparkle, you're like, what? What could be happening? We're not. Okay. I want to tell you something. I'm a mother of men. And I do not like what I see is happening to the men in our country right now. I want to thank you for being honorable, godly men who are here in the house of God, leaning in on how to lead better, leaning in how, how to learn how to love your wife, love your children, and be an influencer in your community. And I'm sorry that the narrative that actually was given, the Me Too movement to give women voice, 
about abusive men have now been weaponized against all men. And I know there are bad men, but they are not all men are bad. And so will you forgive the women that have used their voice to pull you down? Because this is a house that honors both men and women. And we do not believe we add value to women by taking it from the men. We believe that God gives value to both male and female. So thank you for being in this house this morning. And we've been like valuing all over the women all weekend. You guys know I think you're amazing, but sometimes I think that we forget what's really happening. The enemy is trying to divide the male and the female, the black and the white, the old and the young, the rich and the poor, the Christians from the non-Christians. Anything he can divide, he is trying to divide it. And we need to see what is really going on and prophesy prophesy what looks like a ridiculous statement because we have the right to be last day's people filled with God's spirit. I'm so glad about this retreat. I'm so glad about this retreat. You know, I have a, I have a young girl. I have some young girls that I kind of mother. I kind of mother in the spirit. And uh, this one girl had told me she'd written a book about sexual purity. And, and she was, you know, and she asked me if I would endorse it. And so I said, you, you, I need to interview you. So I asked her all these different questions. And she was just right on the mind, money with uh, the Bible. And I, I hung up the phone and the Holy Spirit said to me, call her back because she is not filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And she is going to need to have that weaponry in her forum. She is going to need to know how to fight according to the spirit. And so I called her and I said, do you speak in tongues? And she was like, I, I don't. And I said, you need somebody to lay hands on you and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And she was like, well, next month when I'm home, I'm like, well, it might need to happen sooner. So she's sitting with two friends and she said, you know, Lisa Bevere. And they were like, yeah. She called me and said, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What do you all think about that? And they said, we've been praying for you to get that for a long time. And they laid hands on her and she was filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. We are going to need the Holy Spirit and fire in these last days. You got to know when you are. You are in the last days and God wants to pour out his spirit. Second thing, you got to know who you are. You got to know who you are. You got to know when, you got to know who. You got to know who you are. This idea of identity is so crucial. See, we were singing a declaration all over the worship and sparkle. And today we were singing, I am who you say I am. Do you know that's going to become one of the most courageous decorations you could ever have? Because the world wants you to say you are who you have been or you are who they say you are. But when you stand and say, I am who he says I am, it is a declaration of the presence of God and the power of God and the transformation of God. I am who, I, who he says I am, not who I say I am. Matthew 16 through 13 when Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some think he is John the baptizer. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He pressed them and said, how about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter had a moment. He said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus came back and said, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of Facebook or one of Stephen Furtick's podcasts. My father in heaven, God himself let you in on this secret of who I really am. 
And then I love the way it's worded. Now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. See, God is the only one who knows who we really are. We know who we've been. He knows who we are becoming. God alone is the one who can tell us who we really are. Over the last three years, I've had the privilege of standing and speaking in front of close to 200,000 millennials. I actually was on a Bethel bus tour. They're like, let's put a grandma on a bus for 14 days and to 12 cities. And so it was awesome. So I'm not lying about my numbers. So anyway, it was crazy amazing. I speak for Jesus culture. I get to do some stuff with Hillsong. I speak at a couple universities. And this is what I've learned about millennials. Millennials are some of the most well-connected, well-educated people on the face of the earth. But they're also some of the most confused. They're confused because they're overwhelmed by how many options they have. They're also confused because they know they're called to do something significant, but they're trying to figure out what they're called to do and they don't even know who they are. So you will never discover what you are called to do until you know who you are. And you will never know who you are until you know whose you are. And you don't discover whose you are in the presence of people. You discover whose you are in the presence of God. I also believe that millennials are confused because they are called to do something that has never been done before. And when you are called to do something that has never been done before, you cannot look at what everybody else is doing. You gotta lift your eyes and lean into what heaven is doing and you gotta prophesy rather than criticize. You gotta stop breaking down what is and you gotta connect yourself with some of the older generation because it's the old and the young that give the visions and the dreams so that we can all prophesy. You gotta know who you are. He goes on to say, you are Peter a rock. And he said, this is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. But then I love this because I feel like all the late night marketing has stolen this. It goes on and it says, and that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door. No more barrier between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven and a no on earth is a no in heaven. But if you don't know when you are and you don't know who you are, you won't know what to ask. You won't know what to ask and you won't know what you have access to. See, you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are ambassadors of heaven, walking the face of the earth in the last days. And you have, not me, you have complete and free access to everything that Jesus' death provided for us. You have complete and free access. So I need you to ask for things that will astound you if God begins to answer those things. You need to ask. He says that he was no longer Simon. He was Peter. Why change his name? Why change his name? Simon is like a biblical name. It's like one of the 12 tribes. Why change from Simon to Peter? Well, you got to know what the word Simon means. The name Simon means to listen or hear. And it also means read like. So Simon was bending in the direction of what he heard. One moment, he's, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The next moment, I don't know the man and he's cussing. Okay, so God is saying to us, I need a people who will no longer bow in the direction of what they hear. I need you to be rock solid. I need you to understand that our culture says that truth is a river, but truth is a rock. I need you to build your life on that which is eternal and unchanging. I need you 
to get your new name, which is Peter, which is solid, which is constant, which is invincible. God is giving us a new name for a new day. And the third thing, you got to see yourself as what you are. You are an answer looking for problems to solve. Everywhere you go, you are an answer looking for problems to solve. It doesn't say you're a problem pointer outer looking for other people to answer. You are an answer looking for problems to solve. And if you are not willing to solve the problems in your own backyard, get off of Twitter and stop telling everybody how to solve the problems in the larger yard. We need to be a people who solve the problems in our own backyard because if we're not doing it at home, then it's just theory. We need to be people who understand I love this book. Pastor Robin are reading the same book. Actually, I just finished it by Jordan Peterson. He said, millennials want to change the world, but they don't want to clean their room. So we have to be people who start with what is entrusted with us. And then we take being faithful with that, which is another person's and make it much. You're an answer looking for problems to solve. So I'm 3% Viking. So I have decided to self-identify when I'm in Minnesota as a Viking. I'm 50% Italian, 3% Viking, and I have been to Sweden twice. And so whenever I'm there, I'm like, you're my people. You're my people. I will say they're noisier than you guys. You guys need to up your Viking levels a little bit. But uh, they were telling me all these amazing stories about what they're seeing Jesus do. They told me these stories that were so beautiful. They said they actually hosted something for the refugees where they said, hey, if you want to learn how to speak uh, Swedish, which why, like only one country speaks that language. If you want to learn how to speak Swedish or English, you can come and we'll teach you. We'll also help you how get jobs and, and learn how to assimilate into the community. And so afterwards, there was a small group and they were all just talking about this church had opened their doors and they were like trying to figure out and, and Jesus walks into the room. Jesus just like walks into the room and says, I am Jesus Christ and told them how to get saved. Like, what in the world? Then they also, and the pastor was like, we are the ones hosting them, and Jesus does not visit us. We do not understand this. He also told me a story about a a young man. And a lot of times we don't understand why are the young men coming? It must be ISIS. But the problem is the young men, they send them because they're the ones that can make money, and then they send for the rest of the family. Now, I'm not saying everybody is that way, but, you know, they're not chanting death to Sweden in the streets, but uh, it is doing in the U.S. So anyway, so they're in Sweden, And this young man keeps having a reoccurring dream of a large building with people standing with their hands up in the air. And so he starts asking, where is this building where everybody stands with their hands up in the air? And the people in his his little city were like, we have no idea what you're talking about. He said, well, it was a big building, so it must be in Stockholm. So he gets on a train, rides into Stockholm. And when he gets off the train, a man stops him and says, you went one stop too far. Get back on the train. So he gets back on the train, heading back in the direction he had come from. And he gets off the train in a city called Uppsala. And he said, where is the building where people stand with their hands in the air? And they said, that can only be one place, Word of Life Church. And so he goes into this church. And as he's walking in, it was a weekday. They were having a conference. As he's walking in, the speaker says, if you want to know Jesus, put your hands up in the air. And so he got born again. Listen, these are the kind of things that God wants to do every single day. 
every single day. He wants you to meet people in Target. He wants you to meet people in restaurants and coffee shops. People are desperate for the answer that you carry. Now, I know that everything in our culture says something different, but it's a lie. Pastor Becca took a chance and invited some people to the conference, and she didn't know where they'd come, and they came. Do you know how many people would love to have you invite them to your house for dinner? Because I think sometimes if you don't invite them to your house, you shouldn't start with inviting them to the church. Because then they're like, oh, you're just trying to change me. But when you actually invite somebody to your home for dinner, they say, you want a relationship with me. Let's be the kind of people who invite people into our world because we have the answer to worldwide problems. You are an answer looking for problems to solve. That is how God created us. We have the answer. It's the gospel. We have a prophetic insight. We can see things that other people miss. We can say things that people don't know. We have a peace that passes understanding when people's hearts are failing them because of fear. You are an answer, not a problem. Being a Christian means anointed one. It doesn't mean nice people hiding, hoping for the rapture, who don't celebrate Halloween. We are way more than that. Okay, we are way more than that. So you gotta know when, you gotta know who, you gotta know what, and then you need to write it down. You gotta write it down. How many of you, and, and, and I really, like, maybe I'm just weird, but how many of you, sometimes when you are sleeping, you'll wake up and you have an inspired idea in the middle of the night? How many of you ever have that? Okay, only 10 people. Okay, y'all, you need to like dream a little bit. So they say that actually, while you're sleeping at night, your brain collates all the information you've taken in during the day. And so sometimes you'll wake up in the middle of the night and God will give you an answer. It's like your brain was a computer processing everything or give you an insight. Or maybe God will speak something so profound and so beautiful about his love for you. And I will think that was so gorgeous. There's no way I'll forget it. And I'll go back to sleep. And then I'll wake up the next morning and I'll remember that he spoke to me, but I have no idea what he said. So now I keep an iPad in bed with me. And if I wake up in the middle of the night and God says something, I write it down. Do you know almost every single one of my books was a whisper that God spoke to me in the night or as I was waking up or as I was falling asleep that I just dared to write down. I need you to write things down. I need you when you are in that state of actually listening to write some things down. See, God wants to give you relational insights. He wants to give you creative ideas. He wants to give you solutions to problems, medical, you know, financial, whatever. God wants to download things to you in the night watches. He wants to give you songs that need to be written. He wants to give you books and stories that need to be recorded, but you have to honor him and write it down. Write it down. Habakkuk 2.1 says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on my tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what answer, what answer, what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk was a prophet. And he was not happy with his country. He was not happy with what was going on. He felt like God should be doing some things a little bit different. And so you know what he did? He didn't go to Facebook and post it. He went to his watch post. 
Do you know that you have a watch post in the spirit? Do you know that you have a post? Do you know that the enemy wants to push you off of that post? But the Bible says, having done all to stand, you stand therefore. You have a post in the spirit. You cannot afford to give up ground to the enemy. And then you also have a tower. He said, I will station myself on my tower. That means we have an elevated view. Elevated view. You know, right now I'm in Minnesota on the ground level. But when I take off, all of a sudden I will have a big overview. And sometimes we need an aerial view because the problems close in on us so close. And God is like, you need to remember that you are seated next to me in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You got an aerial view, an aerial view. And then he says, and look out to see what he will say. So many people are listening to hear. And God is saying, I need you to look to see. When you open your eyes, what do you see? What do you see? See, I see problems, but I see beyond that. I see hurt, frightened people. I see people who need to hear about the love of God. I need people who hear about churches like this where there are four hope, four love, four people. A church that is more known for what it is for than what it is against. We need to be those people. When we open our eyes, the Bible says, if you see your brother in need, God doesn't need to say anything. He said, don't shut your heart. Do it. When we see it, we know what he's saying. Let's not make this harder than what it is. Let's just open our eyes. And you can pray a prayer like, God, I, show me what you want me to see. Show me what you want me to see. It doesn't mean everything is what you're supposed to take care of. But when you have that notation of something in your spirit, you know he is saying something. Then he goes on to say, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. So when we write, we create pathways for other generations to run. Every book I've ever written is so the next generation can run on the paths that I stumbled on. When we write, we create runways for the next generation. We write so they can run. And it says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. I'm going to tell you as a woman who is almost 60, it seems slow. I don't even know why it says, if it seems slow. It will seem slow, but it is worth the wait. It will surely come. It will not delay. God has a perfect timing and he is working things out in an obvious realm and he's working things out behind the scenes and God is bringing all those things together for good but we need to write and we need to prophesy what could be instead of criticize what is let's write what we want you know John and I we are first married we were just young first generation Christians and we sat in a Chinese restaurant and we wrote on napkins what we wanted our family to look like. We had no children at the time, what we wanted our marriage to look like, what we wanted our home to look like. And we would write these things. And I remember one of the promises I shared with Pastor Rob in between was from Psalm 128 that it said, those that fear the Lord, this is what it looks like. They sit around the table and there's joy and there's laughter and there's feasting and there's goodness and there's strength. And we said, we're going to actually want to be a house where our kids' friends want to come. Yes. 
So that means we're going to have to buy a ping pong table. We are like, this is the kind of thing. We're going to have to invest in couches that have washable surfaces. We're going to have to have things that are indestructible. It means we're going to have to have a lot of pasta in our house because carbs are cheap and you need to feed people when they come into your house. We wrote things down early on in our marriage so that we could run with it later. We made decisions. I recently found my journal from when I was in my early 20s. It's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. It's like a comedy. I wrote everybody's names in initials. I don't know if I thought somebody was going to like find my journal one day and read it. I don't know. Like so-and-so B was so mad at me. You know, I mean, it's like I wrote all these initials and I was like, I'm so sad. They didn't invite me to their baby shower. How are they increased that trouble me? Many, I mean, like it was ridiculous. I was like, the things I was upset about in my 20s were nothing. I would welcome those now. But I'm actually really glad that I got to see the silliness so I could see the growth. And I keep a journal now, which means 10 to 20 years from now, I'm gonna be laughing about what I wrote now that was upsetting. And I was like, that was just ridiculous. But the other thing I love even more than seeing the growth of the silliness is that my husband and I wrote things in our 20s that we're living now in our 50s. Dreams. Dreams that seemed ridiculous at the time. Dreams that just seemed so radical and unheard of. But we wrote them down. Write and create runways in your life. Write it down. And then once you know when you are, who you are, what you are, and you've written it down, you got to have the right conversations with the right people. See, the right conversations with the right people doesn't mean the right conversations with the same people. Same doesn't work. Same means we're just talking to ourselves. And people that talk to themselves long enough go crazy. We need to have the right people at the table. That means we need to have older people and younger people, not just young people, not just old people. We need to have black people and white people. We need to have ministers and non-ministers at the table. We need to have everybody at the table. Now, I want to tell you something that makes it uncomfortable because people who are different disagree. Did you all know that? Okay, because if you're married, you already knew that. So people that are different disagree, but we have to be intentional to invite people into our world that are different than us. I've had the gift of women who are in my world. Uh, Christine Kane and I, we, we, we were doing an interview and we both said, every Christian everywhere needs to denounce every form of racism. And we were shocked by the back, black blacks we got. They, they called us white privileged women who had no right to say that. And I'm like, do you know Christine's testimony? Left unloved, unwanted, unnamed in a hospital. And my dad looks like Saddam Hussein. I am the child of first-generation refugees. I'm getting my Italian citizenship in February. So I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. And so I tried to defend it for a while. And one of my amazing sisters of color, who is an NBC correspondent and attorney, said, she texted me, she said, let me help you out here. And she said, this is what they're thinking. They're thinking that you should have had a black woman on the stage. And I said, what well, was the interview for my book? It wasn't you. She goes, it doesn't matter. They're just like upset. And so, you know, they're having a problem with that. And then I said, well, do you guys have me on BET? I said, if we had a white entertainment network, that would be a problem. Why do you have a black entertainment network? She goes, you know what, that's a good point. She said, no, I need to ask you something. If I say I'm having the talk with my son, what do you think I'm talking about? 
And I said, sex. And she was like, nope, that's not what I'm talking about. She said, I'm talking about how my son has to conduct himself after dark and around the police. Have you ever had that conversation with your sons? I said, no, I've never had that conversation with my son. And so we have to have the conversations because see, I would never understood her world until she came into my world and we talked it out. If we are going to build life and community, we need different people to have difficult conversations. We need to fight for one another and instead of allowing the media to talk for all of us. And bringing that point, don't you dare come on my Facebook and talk about how often your husband is. That is terrible. You don't talk about your husband on my Facebook page as a million people. I will delete that. You go to your husband. The Bible says if you have a problem with your husband, you go to your husband. And if you have a friend you have a problem with, you don't put it on my Facebook page either. You go to your friend, and if they won't listen to you, you then you get another woman, and you go to one another. But there is a mob out there, and you don't know who you're talking to. And so if you want to have the right conversation, you need to talk to the right people. Social media is not the right people. There's a lot of trolls on social media that all they want to do is cause problems and chaos and division because the enemy knows that houses that are divided fall. Right conversations with the right people. Malachi 3.16, I love this promise that when we have the right conversations with the right people, it says, then those whose lives honored God got together and talked it over. Those whose lives honored God. Another version says, those who fear the Lord got together and talked it over. God saw what they were doing and listened in. A book was opened in God's presence and minutes were taken of the meeting with the names of the God-fearers written down all the names of those who honored God's name. I want to be the kind of woman that God can listen in on my private conversations, that I am in the company of other women, other men, and we all fear God, even if we disagree. We're going to talk to one another and we're saying we want to honor God with our lives. We don't even know what that looks like in this day and age. Do you know how confusing it is right now? how to be kingdom people in a divided democracy. What do we do with that? We get together and we say we want to honor God. And we talk about what that looks like to honor God and God will listen in and take notes. Can you believe that? See, when God listens in and takes note and when we use his word in our mouth, God says that he will watch over his word to perform it, that it will not return to him void. He speaks it and we echo it and he watches over it and performs it. I think this is a time period where we need to know when we are. We need to know who we are. We need to know what we are. We need to write it down so that we remember because everything in our culture is going to try to make you forget. And then we need to talk with one another so that we can have the conversations that God can inhabit and distinguish his people from this world. So can you stand to your feet? And I want to pray over you a grandma prayer. Just lift up your hands and say, Heavenly Father, show me when I am. Show me who I am. Show me what I have. Give me the courage to write it down and the strength to run with it. And God, let me have the right connections with the right people 
so I can have the right conversations. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.